0: Welcome to Southern New Hampshire University's social sciences podcast, Agents of Change. Here, we invite students and professionals to chat with us on topics of inclusion and diversity, student success, and their learning experiences. In this podcast, we will hear insights and personal accounts of people who have persisted against the odds and impacted positive social change. Join us as we learn how we can all be positive agents of change. I'm your host for this episode, Seth Matthews. During this episode, we will explore opportunities in international counseling for interested SNHU students. An overview of international counseling efforts in Ukraine and other war torn areas will be highlighted. Welcome to our special guest, Dr. David Algies, who serves SNHU as a faculty member in the counseling discipline. Thank you for being here, Dr. Algies.
1: Thanks so much, Seth. I really appreciate it. Been looking forward to today.
0: As, as have we. Dr. Uh, Doctorologies from Counseling has extensive experience working with Ukraine, including working with international adoption pre-war, expanding counseling efforts internationally, and currently working with Ukrainian displaced populations, soldiers, and impacted members of the community. This will launch the first of a three-part series highlighting opportunities for our counseling students. In this first episode, we will explore and highlight international charitable and counseling work that our students can explore for academic and career development. So, Dr. Algees, let's go ahead and dive into our first question. If you don't mind, please describe your background and how you became involved with international adoption and counseling services.
1: Sure thing. Um, So... Initially, when I came out of grad school, I got my master's degree in counseling and I wanted to begin working on my license, uh, the hours that you have to get before you can get a state license. And at the same time, my wife and I were were married just a year or so before and we wanted to start having kids. It wasn't too far into that that we found that we couldn't have children. And so we began looking at adoption uh, options. Um, I continued working as a counselor. My wife continued working as a nurse. And before long, we were put in touch with a friend of ours, uh, through a friend of ours at church with a doctor who is helping to begin an organization in Ukraine to help with international adoptions. And that's, that's really what led to our first trip over. Um, his name was Ken. You're going to hear me refer to him a few times today. I imagine, uh, Ken is now the president of an international charitable organization he never really planned on building and i never really planned on joining but the opportunities were there so we just took them uh sherry and i got on a plane we went with ken and um we met uh three ukrainians who were volunteering their time to help with international adoptions uh the office was half of someone's personal apartment in a little town called jetomer ukraine that's about hour and a half straight west of Kiev, Ukraine, that most folks probably know about from the news. Um, when we got there, we were told that we'd be able to meet a child, that we'd be able to bring home from the orphanage in a few months. Um, I had been in t- into uh, Eastern Europe before, and I knew that sometimes there's over-promising that happens. So I tried to help my wife realize that maybe that wouldn't be the case. Uh, and sure enough, we got there and... Um, they said, no, you're not going to be able to meet the child, but come back in six months and bring extra money. And so it just didn't seem to be going down the right path. And as we came out, uh, one of the Ukrainians that was helping with the adoption, her name was Ira, came over and said, What happened? And so I told her what happened. And she said, That's not right. She said, You know what? We're gonna get involved with that. We're gonna, we're gonna pray about that, we're gonna work on that, we're gonna do what we can on this side and, and see if that story doesn't end up different. Um, well, my wife was working with, uh, Ken, the doctor, uh, they were actually giving their time working in a hospital and teaching doctors how to do surgeries and that sort of thing. And, uh, it's funny, everybody on the trip got sick because they drank the water. Uh, after we told them, don't drink the water, it's just like going camping. Um, you don't want to drink the water, you'll get Giardia. And so Ken and I were the only two who weren't sick. We got on the plane to leave and Ken leans over to me and says, Dave, I wouldn't say this to hurt you for anything in the world. Uh, but your wife's sickness is different. She's pregnant. And I was like, Ken, you've seen all the charts, you know, that's not possible. Um, and, uh, And I said, no, that's just, just don't say anything to her. We get home. It's two weeks later. She's still sick. Everybody else is fine. So I told her what Ken suggested and he's a urologist. He, he sees these things all the time. And, uh, and sure enough, she was pregnant. And so we called the folks in Ukraine and told them, and they said, well, you have to come back over and celebrate. And so about mm, 12 months later, I got on a plane and went back and I've been going back, helping out ever since. Um, and that's been 22 years now.
0: That's fantastic. In a way that you that you presented that uh, really stuck out to me, you said, well, the opportunity developed, uh, and that is so very often how it happens in the helping professions, is we may have very different ideas about where our career goals lead, but these opportunities do arise. So... Do you see opportunities for our students or our graduates, and, and how would they prepare best for this type of international opportunity?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Like uh, Just like in my story, my wife and I went over there for a personal reason, but it ended up becoming a professional calling, um, and, and it may very well happen that way. The more folks I've talked to in international work and international counseling, uh, we find our way there sometimes because we're, we have an interest in a particular part of the world, but but we see a need and we can help. Um, and so, uh, uh, many times we start out by volunteering our time. Uh, we start out by helping in a place where they need us to help and it grows into something else. So just like you said, um, it's not always a, a linear path that leads into this kind of work. The, um, the opportunities that I would see that are present for just about anybody, if you're looking at Ukraine in particular, Mission to Ukraine, which is the organization that we've been a part of, um. Mission Ukraine works with disabled kids and their families and every summer we have camps that we put on for disabled kids to come out of the orphanages to come to come out of the apartments and to spend time with volunteers from around the world who come to spend a week with them uh to interact with therapeutic horseback riding to spend time uh with occupational therapy type goals where they're learning how to use their their crayons and markers and papers or maybe maybe the families have things they need to talk about a lot of times there's no resources to help a family with a kiddo with a disability and so mom or dad is with them 24 7. so the camp is a bit of a vacation for mom and dad to say, I don't have to be a 24-7 parent. And I got some things I'd like to talk about. Undergrad students who know how to do active listening, maybe a little reflection of feeling, maybe a little bit of summarization or paraphrasing can do a lot of good over there uh, just by taking 45 minutes to talk to someone and, and make a friend.
0: You mentioned that undergrad piece. I think that's really fascinating because, you know, we invited you here who, you know, you've got, you've got quite the collection of credentials. The work that you just described, uh, specifically this camp, there sounds like there's opportunities for folks with administrative interests, uh, with advocacy interests, uh, with uh, folks that are interested in building funding. So it really sounds like there's opportunities across the spectrum of the helping professions here.
1: Yeah, uh, what's neat about Mission Ukraine is while it grew from half an apartment, with three three part time people focusing mostly on international adoptions, it's changed and morphed as the country has grown and changed over the years. And while Mission Ukraine doesn't do um, adoptions anymore, uh, we do work with disabled kiddos, and we've got um, we've got opportunities not only in mental health counseling, but opportunities to work with physicians, uh, with OBGYNs, with dentists with physical therapists, with occupational therapists. And then of course, all of that takes uh, organization. You know, how do you get a team together from one country to get them into another country? And what does that look like? Um, there are three locations now where there's an office for Mission to Ukraine. Uh, the main one is still in Jatomer uh, It's not far from where that apartment was. Um, but uh, there's opportunities for folks to get involved in any number of ways. And there's days where uh, when I've gone over and there's not a lot for me to do organizationally, I'll go to someone's house and chop wood uh, so that they, they're they working on the wood that they need for the winter. Um, so you don't have to have a professional skill set. But if you're working on one like a lot of our students are, there's lots of opportunities to get involved in
0: international work. So we have opportunities up and down Maslow's pyramid here uh, to meet not just those advanced needs, not just to apply those counseling level skills, but also to help with 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 food, with security, with the housing, et cetera. Uh, yeah. yeah, that sounds that's fascinating. And a little bit of a plug for upcoming series. Uh, we will be talking a little bit more about the pairing of opportunities um, in, with the helping professions, but as well as uh, meeting some more basic needs as well for international populations. So, David, I wonder if you could tell us if you had to pick one success story involving the work that you've had. Tell us about that. If there is if you could, if you could highlight one specific instance where you feel that your work with this organization has been most impactful.
1: Oh gosh, that's that's hard to pick. Um, I, I've been thinking about this question and and how would I answer it. I can say um, there there are two that come to my mind right away. Um, we have, uh, the first comes from the camps. Um, uh, We have five camps a summer uh, that are each a week long. And one of those weeks is a camp for deaf kids from Ukraine. And so you've got to have all kinds of translators going on. You've got to have, you've got to have a translator who understands English, a translator who understands uh, not only Ukrainian, but Ukrainian sign language uh, to be able to communicate with the kiddos. And that's, that takes a lot of work, but uh, we were at one of the uh, camps and there was a, a, a young girl, she was about nine and she just latched onto me. She just liked being wherever I was. And she, she asked me questions and we talked about things and we started joking and, um, and it, it, uh, she would always try to kind of uh present more of who she was you could tell she was very bright she didn't have a whole lot of folks who interacted with her on a regular basis and she said what's it like to hold a microphone in front of people and i said well why don't you come up and find out uh and i brought her up and um she was shaking and she decided she wanted to sing and i thought okay sing and this girl who lives in an orphanage doesn't know her family doesn't have any siblings uh was putting her heart out there for everybody to see um that little girl now is in her 20s which is hard to believe um she's married she's got a kid of her own um but she still talks about the camp and about how it made her start to believe that she could be more than just an orphan in a country that didn't care about orphans um so for me that one stays with me uh, i think about her often i haven't seen her in a while um When I think about uh, the organization and the different lives that have come through folks who have volunteered, folks who have given their time, I think some of the folks I'm proudest of uh, are some of the Ukrainians. Uh, There's a fella, his name's Oleg. when i first met oleg he was in his early 20s Um, he wasn't sure what he thought about volunteering his time with an organization Uh, he went out to help run a camp in the carpathian mountains in the west of ukraine uh, with some americans who went over and he came back so excited about what was happening in his own country and how to help people in his own country and how to reach people and support people and maybe have a different vision of of what life could be like in ukraine and he helped to start an entirely new charitable foundation that is still running in Ukraine. Now, Oleg and his wife now have two kids. They live in Warsaw, Poland now, Uh, but they've been helping that organization from the Polish side get resources into Ukraine to support families and soldiers and those in need during this time of the invasion. Um, I think I've known Oleg for 20 years. Um, The last time I saw him, I just went over on a trip. Um, He's in his 40s and I'm just barely into my 50s. And I looked at him and he said, hey, Dave, can you believe we're the adults now? (laughs) And uh, it ended up being a fantastic trip. But Oleg would definitely tell you his life has been changed through this work um, that just started out as volunteering uh, and seemed like such a small
0: effort at the time. So that's, that's a fantastic uh, highlight there, David, because we were talking about not just the impact that your organization, that you've championed, has had on the local population um, and on individuals. Um, and I'll tell you that, that, that comment that you made about the young lady saying that more than an orphan, boy, mm-hmm. that, that – that, It's hard to think of a more intensive impact, but as as impactful as that individual experience is, you actually modeled and demonstrated how to build a helping organization to others that were then able to do that within their own country.
1: Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that, that was so important, at least for us when we were getting started, certainly for Ken and some of the other folks that were there as this was getting started. And the Ukrainians too, we said, you know, what comes first is relationships. We're going to achieve a lot of things, but the first thing we're going to be committed to is each other. And it's not because we have to, and it wasn't a business strategy. It's like, I like you. Uh, I want to spend time talking with you. I want to see if we can make the world a better place together. Um, And while the vision is shaped and reshaped for the organization over time, the commitment is... I know that Ira Viglovska, who's the director over there now, she is a part of my family, period. Uh, she wouldn't let go. I remember 10 years ago, we did a very American thing, they said. Um, "They said We came over, we said, we want to equip you all to, to launch this organization and to own it and to run it in Ukraine. And Ira sat there and looked at us and smiled. And she just said, oh, you're so American, always so independent. Don't you understand? We don't want to do this without you. Um, it, there, was a, there was a sense of togetherness. There was a sense of we that I think we were overlooking in our in our best intended efforts to empower the nationals. What we forgot was maybe the nationals don't want to do it without us. And maybe there's values that they have that are going to be good for us in the process. And that's certainly proven to be the case.
0: Boy, I feel like we could do a whole other broadcast simply on that topic of perceived cultural impact.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. And
0: and meeting the needs of our partners. So we talk quite a bit in the helping professions as we should about cultural competence. and uh, I'm really glad that you mentioned that because there is, of course, the, the historic ownership that we have to take over international efforts to, quote unquote, improve the lives of others and a lot of the value projections that have happened historically over time within the helping professions. But it yeah. sounds like in this instance, you were able not only to make a positive impact on that local community, but hear their voices and coming at it from a perspective that says we want to arm you to be able to do this yourselves, uh, able to adapt that approach to what the needs of the community actually were.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was it was really neat to see the the culture shift away from, you know, if the further west you go, you tend to think more independently. The further east you go, you tend to think more community oriented or group oriented. And that has been so wonderful for us as Americans to be reminded you don't have to be so independent with us. We're a family here and the family comes first. And the family is now about 44 full time staff at Mission to Ukraine. Uh, and that's fantastic, but it goes well beyond that. It, it goes well beyond that. it's it's their extended families, our extended families. We've had folks come over and stay with us while they're pursuing their bachelor's degrees. So my kids know lots of Ukrainians as their aunts and uncles. Uh, same thing with Americans going over there and staying with Ukrainians to pursue different uh, efforts for longer term stays. Um, and it's it's really it's really been probably one of the best things that's happened in my life.
0: That's, that's just fascinating to hear. So the last question I have for you, when we enter into our educational pathway to join the helping professions as a whole, uh, one of the things that we can learn pretty quickly is that the skills we develop preparing to plan to support one population are actually really easy to generalize to other populations that we didn't expect to serve. Can you talk a little bit very briefly about impact that the work that you've done internationally has helped you uh, prepare and support your clients here within the States? Oh
1: yeah, certainly. Um, I think the first thing I'd say is um, anytime you go overseas, um, it helps to change your frame of reference. It helps you you to change your frame of reference. You get to see first the things that that you have access to that maybe others don't in other parts of the world, things that we take for granted. I remember the first time I came back from uh, being in Eastern Europe. um, I had been there for three months as a college student, and uh, I came back and I walked into a grocery store and I got into the produce section and just started crying. There were just there were too many options to even take them in um, and to realize that that's that's the difference. So I think the thing that changes the most on a trip like this is your perspective. The second thing is recognizing when someone is living from a level of very low on Maslow's hierarchy of need, where they're in a survival mode, uh, their needs day to day are going to be different than someone who is closer to a thriving level of living, uh, closer to the top of Maslow's hierarchy, um, and what their needs are day to day. Both of those significantly impact the goals that I establish as a counselor for my clients. If somebody just needs to get by today, Those goals are different than somebody who's got all the resources they need and they're just kind of working on something. Um, So what does that look like? Um, It changes how I define health for my clients as well. Um, I think that definition probably comes collaboratively rather than academically. You know, what does healthy mean to my client when they talk about their marriage? What would would make for a, a healthy partnership? what do they think? Because I can tell you in Ukraine, it looks a lot different than it looks over here. Um, I don't know that I'd know that without really having spent time there. So I think it's the per- the perspective shift that comes. Uh, I've got more of a lean towards collaborative goals, collaborative work with my clients, collaborative definitions of what healthy might mean. Um, I would say those are probably some of the things that come right to mind.
0: What, a, what an absolute wealth of knowledge. Today, we've had the opportunity to hear Dr. Algees talk a little bit about the evolution of charitable international work, about the availability to be uh, open to opportunities and to recognize that the skills we develop during our academic and professional journeys are preparing us to reach larger audiences and populations than we may anticipate from day one. Expanding a little bit on the way that we view the needs of the international community, um, the assets that we have to offer and the humility that we can offer and understanding that we have also a lot to learn. Thank you so much, Dr. Algees, for being here with us in this episode today. Um, I know that we will be seeing you again. Uh, we will uh, be speaking uh, with a few other panelists as well in an upcoming episode in which we'll talk more about the international community, about how counseling skills translate, uh, no pun intended, uh, across <laughs> borders a little bit, and different populations that we may be able to positively impact. Um uh, last question i'll ask you uh, any advice you have for our audiences here that might be looking to uh jump right in right who want to get right involved with the international community and perhaps with ukraine uh specifically
1: uh, Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Seth. So. I would say if you want to get involved with Ukraine specifically, it's a little tricky right now since the war is going on. But uh, Mission Ukraine is going to have opportunities uh, that our doors are still open, uh, even during the war, even though we've pivoted a bit for what our organizational goals are. They've moved more to philanthropic, more to uh, uh, crisis uh, support for people to make sure they have the basic needs as well as still providing the long-term therapy goals uh, for kiddos with disabilities and their families. Um, but what I would tell tell folks, uh, I, think, I think this is what I would tell students. Um, if they think they might want to get involved in international work and, and how do you make that decision? I think the place to start is just asking what need is on your heart? Um, When you look at the world, what difference would you want to make? How would you want to make the world a better place? Start there. And if you don't know for sure, that's okay. Um, But take time. Think about that each week. Think about that each day. What could I do to make the world a better place? What's the need I might be able to meet? Then find a group that's doing that kind of work. Or maybe it's in that part of the world see who's there see what they're doing then just volunteer your time it doesn't even have to be in your profession volunteer your time maybe it's a couple hours a week you're going to send out a couple of emails for them volunteer your time start building those relationships with folks who are running the organization but also folks who are in country and before you know it you're going to be on one of those trips you'll be surprised how many organizations I, i can hear students in the back of my mind going yeah but dr o that's that's expensive um Yes, trips overseas can be expensive. There's no way around that. But what I can tell you is in the 20-something years I've been going, over 80% of my trips have been paid for. And it's not because my friends are wealthy, uh, because that's not the case. It's because these organizations have scholarships and support that's available to help folks who are doing meaningful work, get them in country so they can do the work there too. Um, there's lots of professors who do trips like these each year. I would say definitely double check with, uh, the ACA, the American Counseling Association, and they typically list trips that are going. You're going to find a lot of professors who are taking students overseas, and maybe that's your first taste. Maybe you don't go back to that country, but you realize this is the work for me. Then those doors start to open. So I'd start with one simple question. What's on your heart? How would you want to fix the world? And see where it goes from there.
0: How would you want to fix the world? And that's a question that we can all take away from this experience with us today Uh, and also into our upcoming series uh, events. Uh, David, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, My name again is Seth Matthews. I'm your host for this uh, episode of Agents of Change, and I hope to see you again with us next time. Thank you for listening to Southern New Hampshire University's Agents of Change, a social sciences podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review us, and be on the lookout for more exciting episodes. Goodbye for now.